Tuesday. I hope you are teed up and ready for some pro wrestling punditry because that's what we are laying down. We are throwing it into your ear holes today. It is the Winkly. I am your Wrestling Inc. Managing Editor, Nick Hausman, and I am back here this Tuesday to talk the top news of the past five days in pro wrestling with my good friend Michael Weissman. Michael, welcome back to the Winkly. It's a lot. Normally, these Monday podcasts are busy enough after a pay per view as it is, but this Monday or this Tuesday, it's I should Tuesday, say, yeah. With God, it feels like man, we're we're bringing in. We got ratings info from the first Wednesday Night War. We got a major telecast on Fox, a pay per view that ended in. Anyway, this is insane, dude. Yeah, it's a lot. Well, we won't waste too much time then because we do. We have a lot to get. The past five days in pro wrestling have really set the stage for what is to come in in the weeks ahead, I'm sure, in the months, maybe years. Uh, But before we get to the news, we do have some big, uh, we have a big piece of audio here for you today as well. An interview I did just recently with none other than WWE Hall of Famer Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. I love this. I love this interview because, um, you know, I wanted to, uh, we had some questions written up. I, you know, brainstormed with Raj and you know, we were like, you know, we, we had some WrestleMania 3 related questions, but I'm, I'm sure he got that, gets that stuff a lot. So I wasn't going to like heavy handedly insert it in, but no, pretty early on, he acknowledges how much interest there is in that match. And we do like a little bit of like a 10 minute deep dive, but half the interview is just kind of digging in on that WrestleMania 3 match, working with Randy Savage, talking to Andre before the match. Pretty cool stuff, man. A lot of stuff I'd never heard about that epic WrestleMania 3 confrontation, you know? That's awesome. And, and of course, classic match ricky the steamboat an all-timer for sure um man that's awesome dude mm-hmm. good for you well thank you that's just the start of the week guys i got a lot more audio in the tank to go but with that let's let's put some audio in the tank here let's get it going with some news you can use news that'll leave a bruise and i tried to do that now i know there's a lot of big news right we could start we could have started with many things but the, since there's so much news I we could have started with Lana and, uh, you know, Rusev and their storyline. We'll right? We could have we'll kicked off the show with that. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. <laughs> I decided to. That's the big news coming out of the pay-per-view, am I right? I'll get it. I'll get it. I'll get to it. I'll get to it. I'll get to it. Okay. Before I tried to, what I tried to do here was lay out the news the past five days in a, in a somewhat linear fashion. Now, it's not entirely linear, but I thought it would be important because a lot of the stories kind of blend into each other right now. And I want to be able to tell this tale. So sit back, relax, as Michael and I tell the tale of the past five days of the first week of the Wednesday Night War here. And uh, bu- now right last week, on Thursday, when I recorded the show with Labar, we had not got the viewership numbers in. We were speculating, we were talking, we were kind of riffing off of other things we'd seen online. Well, before we, uh, right after the show, before I could even get to the numbers, I was sitting there, you know, refreshing Showbuzz Daily. I got an email I got an email from WWE PR, which I get pretty regularly, but this email really stood out to me, Michael. They released a statement preemptively. I didn't even read, I didn't even reach out to them for a comment or anything like that. Preemptively released a statement to me, congrat and me and the, and I'm sure the rest of whatever the press was on my my email chain I was attached to, but they released a statement congratulating AEW hours before the viewership numbers dropped for Dynamite and NXT. <laughs> Their statement said, Congratulations to AEW on a successful premiere. The real winners of last night's head-to-head telecasts of NXT on the USA Network and AEW on TNT are the fans who can expect Wednesday nights to be a competitive and wild ride, as this is a marathon, 
not a one-night sprint. Well, on that note, <laughs> New York Comic Con, John Moxley was taking part in the uh, the old panel discussion of a couple AEW stars, and he ha- he said that that WWE statement was passive aggressive. That's how John Moxley class. I think that was a little transparent. I mean, I think it's great. You know, let's try to keep this civil. But this seemed a little transparent to this. Did the real winners here are the fans because certainly no one lost. They're not a loser, right? <laughs> well, it's certainly not a. No, come on now. Vince McMahon, cold hearted businessman, killed the competition, wanted to squash it, right? He's, he's not here. He's turned a new leaf in this new era of XFL, and he's feeling your Tony Khan's in football, too. And we can't we all just get along now? And man, listen, WWE, they're just looking out for the little guys for the first time in a while. Well, let's talk, let's talk about how the little guys did here. So we'll, I'll, let me read off the, the, the viewership numbers here. We can we can have a little bit more of a discussion about it. NXT then would go on to do 891,000 viewers. It debuted, by the way, two week, or two weeks prior on USA to 1.179 million viewers. So about a 300, 250,000-person uh, drop there. AEW, on the other hand, Dynamite's debut did 1,409,000 viewers in the United States. Again, Showbuzz Daily. That's where we go for our viewership. Uh, AEW on TSN2 in Canada did another 109,000 viewers. So that pops up to about 1.5. And then the Dynamite replay on TNT drew 423,000 viewers. So combined... About 200 million viewers, and that doesn't even take into I, I we don't know how the TNT app did or uh, two million viewers. Two million, yeah, about two million. What did I say? Twenty million viewers. You said 200 million. Oh, 200. Which is damn impressive. <laughs> they did. They did about every person in America. You know, it was like the it was like the white Bronco going down the the freeway. Everybody was tuned in. No, they did about 200. <laughs> I did it again. They did about <laughs> two million viewers combined on that night alone, and then of course you can. You know, we'll figure out, I'm sure, or maybe we won't over time the viewership. They did a fight in their, their app. But AEW Dynamite viewership topped NXT by 58%, more than 2 to 1. AEW ranked number 2 in cables, top 150, 18 to 49 demo, while NXT ranked 10. AEW ranked 16 in overall viewership for the night. NXT ranked 27th. Dynamite actually narrowly topped last Tuesday's episode of SmackDown Live, the last episode of SmackDown on USA in the 18 to 49 demo, while AEW did a 0.68 rating in the 18 to 49, SmackDown garnered only a 0.67, so a 0.01 lesser, so barely edged them out. Um, but Dynamite was also the most watched wrestling show on cable that wasn't Raw or SmackDown in over five years, and that was since the April 10th, 2014 edition of Impact Wrestling, which did 1.0. For two million, so just a little above, not barely much at all. So could that that number could be beat this week for all we know. Um, Jericho talked to Complex Sport. He said that WWE started this war. They got destroyed on the first night. Randy Orton got drunk on Twitch and was playing Call of Duty. He said, speaking of Vince, that AEW was effing cool, huh? Did you watch that show? Oh my God, I'll tell you what, it's that big match feel, the big show feel. Cody and Sammy Guevara, that kid can do some shit. I'd love to work with that kid. They had a great match. I thought the opening of the show was was the match was a good idea and well-received. So Randy Orton, uh, you know, I don't want to cast aspersions here. did sound like he'd had a couple cocktails, maybe dropped an insensitive word um, in, that, in that diatribe as well. Um, but regardless, a lot of people speaking out on this. WWE trying to counter to the best of their ability with this, uh, with this statement. What's your vibe here? Uh, regarding oh, night one of the Wednesday Night War and the numbers and the comments coming out of it? 
Well, despite WWE's attempt here to say that the real winners are the fans, which the fans are the winners in this whole thing, but the real winners here are absolutely AEW. Um, you know, coming out there roughly with uh, 1.5 million viewers is big for them. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and WWE, of course, brought out NXT two weeks earlier. I guess they've done two shows now leading into this week. And I think that was a mistake. You mentioned this earlier. They opened up with 1.1 million viewers the first night they were on USA. Almost one two. Almost one two if you round up. Right. Yeah. It is true. Right. And and so if if you would have saved that anticipation and and you had gone to blows with NX or with AEW on the same night, I think it would have cut into their audience a little bit more. And I think it would have bolstered you a smidge more, right? Because it was weird too. They were doing the half shows on USA and I don't think it set the right tone. That 891,000 viewers is about what they did last week. And so it's, they didn't lose viewers against AEW necessarily. They were flat. Um, but still they kind of settled into a groove. It's below a million, which is not great. I don't think. No. Well, um, well, you know, we'll get, we'll get back. You know, this is good. We'll put a pin in this here right now. We're going to talk some (laughs) more news because we're going to, we're going to talk more about, you know, what what expectations may be for tomorrow night's Wednesday Night War. We can do that here a little later in the show. And their show was, I mean, I know you guys talked about it on Thursday, so I won't belabor it, but that show was a, a really well-paced show for the first live show. That was great. You know, you could, you know, so there's a lot of things they did right, and I think they capitalized on having that large audience. Um, so I'm glad that many eyes tuned in. Again, NXT and AEW on the same night hurts my soul a little bit because I think they both deserve very large audiences. Yeah, well, and you know, I like I was there. I was there last Wednesday. I was in the Capital One Arena. It had a big time feel. You know, I've been at, at literally every AEW function or event except for the Vegas whatever pool party announcement, which our own Joey G covered because uh, he lives locally there, and it was just much easier for him to do that one. But I've been to everything else, and of all the events that I have been to for AEW, um, outside of All In. The original All In, I thought this was two. All Out, I thought would be three. But this one certainly had a big, big, very cool feel to it. And uh, I think with more people getting involved and attending these events and, you know, getting hooked on TV, I think we're going to see a a boost in viewership here this week. But we'll get to it. I'll put a pin on it. I don't want to get too ahead of myself because there's a lot of reasons I say that. And we have only (laughs) scratched the surface of what has happened here in the past five days. All right. So we have some news coming out of NXT as well. Matt Camp. New WWE personality. He revealed in a WWE Now video that Ciampa has been medically cleared. He is going to be coming back to the ring. Of course, he confronted Adam Cole at the end of the uh, the last episode of NXT. It was also noted in this report that Matt Riddle, not medically cleared, but that was there was no info given. Could have been a work, right, to just sell the, the Adam Cole match. Um, first of all, Ciampa, that's a big get for me. And of all the things that kind of have got lost in the shuffle here, because Again, we're about to get into a lot of things that have happened between last Wednesday and now. The Ciampa return, I mean, I, I, unless I was doing the show right now or was looking at it, I'd, I'd almost have forgotten about it, you know? Yeah. Kind of got shuffled into all the other news, but Ciampa was the guy. He had to give up the title due to medical reasons, but he was carrying that brand in a way, and he was on his game in a way that very few people have been, especially from that heel worker perspective. And so big return, and I think, again, the talent in NXT can make a difference if they can get the eyes on their product, and guys like Ciampa will be the ones who can do that. I, I 100% agree. I'm a big Tommaso Ciampa fan. I'm a big Adam Cole fan. This feud has a lot of potential. It's just like with so much going on right now, you know, uh Maybe mention it on Raw or something, right? Did Chomp? I mean, did they mention Champa or turn and make a big deal about it on Raw or NXT or, or Raw or SmackDown or anything? I don't think they did. Not that I recall, and I fast forward through commercials, but I didn't see anything. They don't do one of the recaps as much. Yeah, so um, play it up. You got three shows in between the next episode of Wednesday Night Show. Play up your biggest angle. 
Anyway, um, the WWE Cruiserweight Championship has officially been rebranded the NXT Cruiserweight Championship. So a little twist there, but now it's an NXT title. Um, we have an update here from the Observer about 205 Live. It is scheduled to air live on the network this Friday from T-Mobile. Uh, there has not been a new 205 episode, 205 Live episode since September 24th. Of course, they took the last week off with the, the SmackDown debut on Fox. I guess the report goes something like they didn't want to distract from the SmackDown debut and you know what what happened on that show. So they didn't do 205 Live. I mean, take that <laughs> logic for what you will. But it does seem like this brand is winnowing. It, it, it seems to be coming, to say the least, less important, if not soon to be non-existent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the, you, you're you're making the smart move here, right? NXT Cruiserweight Championship. It's kind of the same style, you know. It draws in a similar fan base, high energy. I think it makes sense under that umbrella, but it does feel like WWE is kind of packing up shop on that. And I think there's a lot of great talent down in 205 Live, but do you need that brand to stand off on their own anymore? I no. think grouping them in with NXT makes a lot of sense. I think so too, especially if you're going to do these hard two rosters here, right? And you're not yeah. going to be able to split talent. Some new, some new talent is going to be able to come up and fill some spots on those different brands. The Cruiserweights are always a good addition. The Singh brothers on Raw uh, on Monday night, I thought were very good in their role. Calling out Aleister Black, doing the Bollywood stuff. They were very engaging. I thought they had a lot of personality. I want to see more guys like that from 205, get a, 205 Live get a chance to step up and show that. Because there is a lot of great talent in 205 Absolutely. Live. Absolutely. And it does seem like the 205 Live brand hasn't been given the spotlight even NXT has been given. So I think it will be good for the talent. Even though it kind of sucks if you love 205 Live, it'll be good for the talent in the long term. Well, Squared Circle Sirens reporting uh, that Scarlett Bordeaux is expected to debut in NXT soon. Of course, we reported not long ago she had a tryout down at the uh, WWE Performance Center. And on that note... Uh, they're reporting that there is no big performance center, performance center class scheduled to be announced until January of 2020. Uh, the, the upcoming class reportedly is going to include a few big indie and international names that have been signed to WWE for a while, but their start dates have been moved back a few times, so you can kind of announce them, I guess, in waves now is the way to do it in WWE. Uh, but if Scarlett is going to be you know, ahead of that group and is getting her own debut in NXT, you know, she she's great. I've been wondering where she's going to wind up. I, it's just a matter of time till she she got on somebody's TV screen. Yeah, and and she's the kind of person that you know, performance center class coming up. Scarlett Bordeaux doesn't need to go through that methodology, right, to get into the roster. So I think she'll be great. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. Um. Well, uh, the Observer back to AEW here now. Uh, they're announcing this is all the NXT AEW news here. I'm doing this this last one, and then we're going to talk SmackDown stuff here in just a second. But uh, AEW, according to The Observer, is going to premiere a second TV show on TBS as part of their Sunday night lineup soon. Now, the new program is going to be an edited version of AEW Dynamite that aired uh, the previous Wednesday. No word yet on when AEW, the TBS show, is going to debut. But at the same time, yesterday on YouTube, AEW debuted their AEW Dark show, which is the four dark matches they do uh, at AEW Dynamite, they did one beforehand. They did three after. I guess that's going to be the the way they go about it. Or maybe they'll switch it up a little bit. Who knows? Um, I thought it was it was, you know, the matches were all good. I just it's it, you're asking people to stick around for a while. And it's always hard, you know, by that last match of the dark matches to really be engaged, even for such a historic show like that. Um, but I thought it was good. And if they're going to go this route, you know, rather than doing a recap show on TBS, I would rather see these kind of shows get that kind of a platform, make them something different, kind of like the old TBS Saturday night. I guess they do it on Sunday night, though. Or Shotgun Saturday night, too. You know, 
the after show dark matches are weird to me because if you've watched your main event, I'm ready to go home. That's the peak of the wrestling and I'm, I'm good. So I would rather see those dark matches happen before WWE always films all of their other showing other programming or dark matches before their show actually kicks off. So you can still do that. I don't think it's a bad idea to do this kind of stuff on YouTube though, because the elite formed this core audience that has expanded out into the AEW audience on YouTube with there being the elite programming. So it would make sense, especially if people right nowadays, a lot of cord cutters, people don't have cable and you're trying to draw people into watching a cable program. Now Yeah, give them that wrestling. If you think wrestling is the main draw, give them that wrestling in some kind of free format, right? Get it out there and let people buy in, you know, NWA, it seems like they'll be trying something very similar. So yeah, get that audience from the free space and maybe they will choose to buy, you know, one of these sling TVs or whatever to watch your show. The TBS show is interesting to me. It seems like they're gonna. It's gonna be an edited version. Is it gonna be a studio show? Is that what I'm gathering, Nick? I would think that yeah, somebody like Shivani or uh, Marvez would be the one uh, doing control center duties. You know, thrown in between kind, matches and things like that. Kind of like what they used to do with WWE. Used to have a show on Saturday and Sunday mornings that you could watch in to catch the highlights of what happened that week, plus some yeah. extra commentary. I like it. You know, I, I would rather see another actual wrestling show. You know, let's uh, let's bring back to TBS Thunder, right? Um, no, but but I like these kinds of shows because they do bring in certain fans who might not be able to watch during the week. Getting able to watch on the weekends gets them engaged. And TBS obviously has, you know, plenty of other programming to advertise alongside with it. So it could be good. I don't know that adds a whole lot. I do like the After Dark stuff, though. Yeah, no. I And that's the thing is if I'm, you know, in the room and, you know, everybody's taking everything. And I think that, you know, you got four matches here, right? I, I know that they're putting them all on the web. But, you know, maybe maybe one on the web, three on TV, you know, three on the web, one on TV to kind of give some kind of originality to all this content where there, sure. there's different matches you can find. So, anyway, there's a million different ways to skin a cat. But by on that note, don't go skinning cats. That's not a good idea. <laughs> I know I said that. Don't don't be inspired to skin cats and be like, Hausman said there's a million ways you could do that. I'm going to find out. I don't know. I got 950,000 of them, but I'm missing those other 50. I very rarely use that turn of phrase or colloquialism, the hardest word in the English language to use, to say. Uh, but every time I do, I'm like, who's skinning cats? Who thought That's of right. this? Who thought of this phrase? Like, oh, you know, a- it's so mean. Like, I have two cats, right? So I'm biased here. But why Why is that the expression? It's almost always like there's a lot of easy ways to do this thing, right? It's like this convenience thing. Why would somebody – yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I've, I have relatives that field dress deer and stuff, and it seems like there's only one way to really do that well. So I don't really know if there's a million. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, okay, uh, Onward Ho, we are going to move now to SmackDown. So we've moved off of all the last Wednesday news. We we're moving Thursday was a bit of a, a reprieve last week. We're from a week ago. We're finally done with that news. Let's we're get gonna, to everything in the last we're, six days. We're going to now, now we're down, to, I think, three or four days, three and a half. All right. So now we're going to talk about the news coming out of the SmackDown Fox premiere. We talked about the numbers earlier. AEW won the night with one four. Well, Fox and WWE seem to have won the week with easily the most viewed wrestling program of the week. Fox, uh, Fox's um, SmackDown debut drew an average of 3,869,000 viewers. This is up 84% from last week's 2.099 uh, that they did on the USA Network. To compare, Monday's Raw season premiere drew an average of 2.571 uh, from last week's 2.2. So this 
was well over 1.3. Like, add last week's Raw plus AEW, boom, you get you get the SmackDown debut. SmackDown won the night in the coveted 18 to 49, averaging a 1.35 rating over two hours. The closest number to SmackDown for the demo was Hawaii 5-0 from 8 to 9, which scored a .7. Um, the show featured a new set. It featured Brock Lesnar. Well, here, yeah, okay, we'll take these one at a time here. First of all, the number's incredible. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what expectations were. I don't know what it was considered, but this seems very good to me, the numbers they did on Fox. Well, to further put that in context, it was the highest-rated WWE telecast in over a year and a half, with, I think, Raw 25 being the last thing that came close, or, or that beat this number, I should say. Okay. But even that, if you remember, was an anomaly in the way that WWE ratings have been going on for a number of years. So the highest-rated WWE broadcast in years, right? SmackDown being the kind of front-runner there. And this is, I think, you know, you look at expectations for this show um, and where SmackDown was. It seems like the number 3 million, I don't know if that's just people speculating, or, or that's what it seemed like you would want out of this to make Fox and WWE happy is somewhere around 3 million. And so I think coming out the gate with 3.8, you're not going to keep all of those viewers week over week, right? I expect some kind of drop off this week, but it gives you a lot of room to drop down and still maintain a really solid core audience. And it also tells you this, something you hope, you anticipate, you don't know if it's going to happen. And that is, did you bring back some casual viewers and give them a chance to see your product? And that's exactly what happened here. Yeah, yeah. This was really just like a, this was a, the sampler platter. This was the top appetizers on the menu. Everything you come to the TGI Fridays for. Um, yep. they, they featured a new set with lots of pyro. I thought the set looks cool. I'm really a big fan of this yes. new set. It, it's a, it's a, it is a throwback a little bit. I mean, the original SmackDown rings, it kind of had a similar vibe. Somebody pointed that out on Twitter, and I was like, oh, uh, you're right. The little circles they used to have back in the day. You're right. Good call. Mm -hmm. like this set. Brock Lesnar, he squashed Kofi Kingston. I'm going to put this all together here real quick, and we can, we can dissect both talking points. But Brock squashed Kofi in nine seconds to become the WWE champion. Shortly after, Rey Mysterio's music plays. Ray came out with Kane Velasquez. Now, MMA Junkie is saying that Kane has made the decision to move on from MMA to focus on his pro wrestling career. It does sound like he's still under a UFC contract, uh, but he has informed UFC officials of his intention to withdraw from the USADA test pool, which effectively retires him from active MMA con competition. Uh, Velasquez versus Lesnar. Um, well, we know, well, according to Meltzer here, it's going to be taking place at Crown Jewel. Um, but ESPN said that Kane has not officially signed a deal with WWE yet. That's according to Kane himself. It was also noted that he has not officially retired from UFC, but like that'll likely come after the USADA the news comes out publicly. Uh, but back to the Observer here. They're saying this match is going to take place at Crown Jewel. WWE offered big money to make this match happen. Currently unknown how long uh, Velasquez. So, yeah, a lot of conflicting reports I'm sure. This says he's signed, but no, long, no idea how long he's signed for with the WWE. I guess he signed something. Uh, in AAA, Kane made his debut under a mask, uh, performed a number of, of high-flying moves. I was a big fan of Kane's work in AAA. Uh, WWE apparently is not looking for him to be doing that. Um, they want him to go back to more of his MMA roots. The deal between the two sides right now did have a snag, so maybe that's where the, the, the hiccup here in reporting happened because WWE apparently pulled the deal off the table after they were unhappy that word uh, got out of Kane signing early, uh, and apparently that deal got pulled on Monday just before Raw started, but I guess if we're putting this all together here and I'm reading all my notes, it sounds like probably signed shortly before SmackDown, made the debut, and according to Meltzer here, we are off to Crown Jewel to do this big UFC rematch. Um, so Kofi lost nine seconds. Cain Velasquez is here avenging uh, his, uh, his Mexican brother, Rey Mysterio, and his son, Dominic. Taking it all in, Michael. How do you feel? 
what what stands out to you? I'll I'll plug the uh, Wrestling Inc. post game show for SmackDown if you want to catch all the thoughts I hung out with Glenn and Raj and Matt Morgan and, and we kind of dove in really deep to this so I'm going to keep it a little bit shorter here but what I will say is a couple of quick things. Number one, um, the Kofi squash. I, I get putting the belt back on Lesnar, right? Obviously they see him as the money guy moving forward. Kofi's had a great run and they've done right by Kofi at every juncture. My nitpick there is they made him look like a fool for running straight at Lesnar and into an F5, right? Couldn't you have at least had Lesnar just hit him from behind, um, get the upper hand through uh, some other means, right? Instead of Kofi literally running in and taking this the way he did, right? But again, Lesnar's our money guy, and they're going to go with this, especially if, and as WWE sees that they're on Fox, you got a cross-promotion here with other sporting events. Kane Velasquez debut, they think that's going to be the big money fight that's going to draw back in casual viewers. you got that $3.8 million. Crown, all those... You're doing it at Crown Jewel. And, like, I get it because you gotta you got to do a big show for all that money. But it always comes with an asterisk, man. And I think this match is going to be great. But it's weird to yeah. me that it's on Crown Jewel, if that's the direction. Well, that, that's Because it? it's not yeah, announced Yeah, I don't yet. think so. I, I'm sorry. What did you say, Nick? I said it's not officially announced yet. So we don't know that. But if, that's, if Belter's saying that and that's how it comes to pass – I don't know, man. It just it taints it for me, you know? Well, I can't imagine the Saudis are demanding. I mean, they, they tend to demand, if, if rumors are true, <laughs> legends, people to come back to the ring, classic names. I can't imagine they're demanding a Brock Lesnar, Kane Velasquez super fight for Crown Jewel, and I think it would play a lot better yeah. stateside, especially. You know? Agreed. It's Survivor Series. Like, that's where it's yeah. Chicago. Come on, man. This is a big Latino a fight market. City. You guys this appreciate a, big, a good fight. Yeah. I there's a there's a strong Latino pro wrestling community. I know I go out to Cicero Stadium for the MLW shows. They pack that place. A lot of lucha talent. You know, GCW, they pack the place. Impact's coming here. Hot market, man. Reward us. Win us. AEW is fighting for Chicago right now. And they're doing a damn good job, you know? So. The only thing I'll add to this whole thing, and I, I get it, right? There's a lot of built-in anticipation there from an MMA audience perspective, and you had some of those eyes on Friday night, I'm sure. But is there a demand from the audience who's going to stick with you to watch Cain Velasquez in WWE week over week? We did this last year in 2018 with Ronda Rousey. And I'm not going to say anything about, you know, lover or hater, right? She did not move the needle, I don't think, in a way for ratings week over week that amounted to much that stuck around because again, raw ratings are still down this year. And so I don't know that he's going to be the savior you want, but again, casual fan, MMA fan tuning in Friday night, sees this show up, might tune back in this week. So I see from a business perspective, why this makes sense. See, but here's the thing. And I'm, I think this is great. I think you're right. I think this is going to be real cool. But again, I watched, I watched this stuff from Kane down in AAA, and I've seen him, you know, wear the, wear the hood and, you know, pull out Hurricane Rana's. And he wants to he wants to be a luchador, okay? Yes. Brock wants to be Brock Lesnar, monster guarding his pot of gold under a cave in a cave, right? With his big club, like that is his style, right? Kane is like, no, I want to. I grew up, I love luchador. Let the man, let them, let them hybrid those styles here. I hope that I hope they don't pull back completely because Kane can do some cool stuff, and I think that that adds just another layer. Because, you know, we've seen, you know, Brock work that style over a big tough guy versus another big tough guy. Man, how cool would it be to see Kane pop out, you know, hit the 619, you know, play off of Ray's history and legacy and be like, wow, this guy has been training, you know, lie. Be like, yeah, he's been training with Ray. That's not really the story, but tell that story. You know, sure. I, I think that's just I, I hope that they allow him to do some of that stuff. I, I have a I know that's what he wants to do. We talked about it on the record. 
And uh, I just think it would make for, on top of the already very good story they're telling with Ray and Dominic and him and, and you know, the history of Brock, to throw that level of, like, man, he's working a totally different style. Brock Lesnar's thrown off by that, I think is really cool. Also, you get, I mean, no offense to Kane. I know he's in MMA shape. He's in shape, but he doesn't have the muscle-bound look that a lot of WWE guys have right now, and Brock Lesnar is really jacked up. A luchador style would play into that even more. Um, and and we've seen we've seen him fight Brock Lesnar MMA style. This is a wrestling match. I want to see professional wrestling, you know. And, and some of Brock's best matches have been against guys who can work a higher flying style. AJ Styles, he's not a luchador, but he does go to the top rope a lot. You know, he had great matches with um, Daniel Bryan, a lighter guy who flies around the ring. So yeah, I, I think it would be a good matchup for Lesnar as well. Um, well, also coming out of SmackDown, um, Shane McMahon, he's now fired from SmackDown after losing a ladder match to Kevin Owens. A big moment there for Kevin, especially in front of that big new crowd. I believe this was the most watched portion of the show that for that top of that second hour mark there. Um, so star made Shane gone. I'm, I'm sure we'll get some kind of follow up, but a definitive payoff to what has been going on between these two, at, at least for the moment. I enjoyed it. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, the rock appeared. He laid out Corbin alongside Becky. I thought it was okay. It was just like a rock segment. There was It didn't stand out to me any more or less than other stuff we've seen him do, but nice of him to show up, you know. And quit complaining about Corbin getting put down here, guys. It's okay. Corbin is that kind of heel everybody hates, and he can rebound from this because he is that persona. He's going to be fine. <laughs> um, and we had Tyson Fury and Braun Strowman. They scuffled. Uh, um, on SmackDown. This, of course, turned into the end of Raw that we saw it on Monday where the two uh, had a big full-blown brawl to close out the show. Um, I don't... I, I don't... Di- I don't like... I don't dislike this. I think it's fine. I enjoyed the pull-apart. You know, I don't really know who this Tyson Fury guy is, but him yelling, I'm the Gypsy King uh, at the end of the show, I was like, I love this man. He seems... He seems hilarious i don't know it's a strange celebrity pairing and and, uh obviously braun Strowman is fulfilling that big show role this day and age in wwe but again tyson fury who is to your point who is this dude i have to like google him to figure out i know he's a boxer but i'm not into boxing so a strange pairing there but wwe thinks there's money in it so have at it um and then lastly uh the undertaker was not on the show although i believe he was advertised and he said on instagram that he wasn't there because he was told he wasn't needed for the show. Pants, it's a real mm-hmm. moment in time there, I think, just to take that off. And he in. didn't. It's a good show. Yeah. Right? You didn't need him. You you briefly showed Flair and Hogan. The show didn't need a whole lot. Of, you had The Rock as your celebrity appearance. It was a tight two hours. And, Nick, I got to call this out. They opened the show, obviously, with The Rock and Becky Lynch. But the first match of SmackDown on the Fox era was the four horsewomen. And I thought that was really cool. They didn't make a big deal about it, too. They just, it was normal. And I, I thought that was a, a really neat, it was a good way to lean into all of your women's wrestling movement over the last couple of years. Um, and uh, and uh, with that, that is our SmackDown news right there. We're going to move on <laughs> to the next night now. Actually, not the next night. We had a day off on Saturday and then Sunday, more wrestling. Uh, WWE, Hell in a Cell. Now, I, we, I debated starting the show with this because obviously it's very buzzy. <laughs> But again, we have a long story to tell here today, and I thought it was important to put this all as uh, in order as we could. Uh, so the big news coming out of the cell is, of course, The Fiend, Bray Wyatt, and Seth Rollins. Uh, their Hell in a Cell match went to a referee stoppage. Now, the fans were chanting AEW bullshit refund to close the show. They were very upset that this Hell in a Cell match, which was no DQ, ended in what I think a lot of people thought was a DQ. So, you know, 
splitting hairs here by saying it's a referee stoppage. Uh, there was some mild rioting in the parking lot after the show. I saw some video of some people throwing bottles. Hey, guys, don't riot. It's pro wrestling. Go do something else. Go bowling. Take your frustration out something some other way. Um, Seth had a uh, very stiff stare down, also with a fan who was heckling him after the show. Very uncomfortable bit of video to watch on Twitter. Uh, Max Jackson tweeted out that AEW is going to be back on Wednesday, reminding, you know, kind of trolling WWE a little bit. Jericho responded to, uh, to the finish by posting an exploding head emoji regarding the finish of the show. Brazzers, adult entertainment pornography company, they tweeted to WWE, hey, WWE, let us know if you need advice on how to craft logical and coherent storylines with satisfying finishes. Um, PW Insider <laughs> reporting that the creative idea behind Wyatt versus Rollins' finish was that there was a referee, that the referee officially stopped the match after Rollins did the sledgehammer shot to Wyatt's head while Wyatt was under the, the pile of weapons. I did want to note that this sounded really reminiscent to me of another story or another match that ended in a bit of controversy. SummerSlam 2016, Lesnar versus Orton, where Orton like died and like looked like he died in the ring. Uh, that was in by referee stoppage. And at the time, I remember it was said that that was a Heyman idea. He wanted it to feel more like an MMA finish. So uh, with Heyman in charge of Raw, and this was the finish going here, I think that – I don't know if this is the reaction Paul and WWE were expecting, but I think that you know there's a lot of MMA influence right now at the moment. Um, th on that note with Rollins and, and Wyatt, WWE tweeted and then deleted an announcement the next day on Monday – advertising Wyatt versus Rollins on Survivor Series, so take that with what you, take that for what you will. But these two men did not appear on the televised portion of Raw the next night. We only got like a brief recap package. Um, Post-Wrestling oh, uh, post is reporting that The Fiend suffered uh, some kind of injury at the, the cell, though the Observer noting that that injury was not serious. Uh, and then the next night after Raw went off the air, Bray attacked Cesaro, who had just finished getting laid out by Tyson Fury, gave him the mandible claw. I would guess to send this, the, the crowd home happy that they actually got to see this man. Um, so uh, how do you feel about what they did with, uh, with Fiend and Seth here? It was a disaster. I, you know, it started off, listen, I love the stuff at the, at the front end of this, right, where he, he takes some, some big moves from Seth and bounces back. He gets hit with the kendo stick. He doesn't, doesn't phase him. I love the no-sells because it buys into that persona Bray Wyatt and The Fiend have crafted. Um, I love the fact that he was just demolishing Seth Rollins, right? This guy has a mystique about him right now, and you very rarely get that this day and age in wrestling, and it's so hard to keep it going. So I thought they were doing great with all of that. But then when they got to the 10 finishers back to back to back, and they got to the Seth Rollins going crazy and hitting him with the chair shot and everything else, and, and the image of The Fiend laying there in the middle of the ring, just lifeless, I thought undid all of the goodwill in this match. And yeah, I think it is a bait and a switch, right? You advertise Hell in a Cell matches as being no DQ. You put this guy, and this is WWE's choice, Nick, right? They chose to go this route. You have an unstoppable force like The Fiend, and you put him in a no disqualification match, implying this match is going to conclude with a true winner, and you end it in a no contest. I completely understand why the fans were pissed and it, it really bothers me too that nobody in the back was like, we need to call um, we need to call a curveball here. We need to do something else because this is 
being reacted upon very poorly. The fans were booing Seth Rollins, the face of your company, because of the way you booked him in this match, and that is very unfortunate. Yeah, I agree. And I they had done a pretty good job of rehabbing Rollins to the point people were you know really into the burn it down, and I feel like they had kind of moved past the Twitter stuff. But not that it's Seth's fault, but I feel like he's going to get the blame from the fans for this, if that makes sense. Like I feel like he's yep. going to get the heat. He's going to be the one to have to take the heat. And that's probably why I don't think they wanted to put him out on Raw. They didn't want to show him getting booed. Um, but, man, to, to make this kind of a misstep to the point you can't even use the Wyatt character on TV, <sighs> brutal, man. Brutal. Took the football all the way down, one-yard line. Brutal. Brutal. And it's, it's, it's exactly what happened with Roman Reigns whenever they tried to push Roman Reigns to a, an extent where the fans gravitated towards Daniel Bryan at the time. Uh, Batista suffered the same blight back in the day. And these guys all got caught up in this storm where the fans wanted something and they were behind somebody. And you kind of tease it and you're like, oh, we might go the distance with them. And then you don't and you screw them out of that moment and that satisfaction. Yeah, the fans. And I, I think, you know, you don't always get what you want in pro wrestling. But also, this is one of those moments where something so cool and different and and just really and again you don't have to put the fiend in this match but if you're going to then go all the way with it don't give us a half measure and i i think that's the big issue here is wwe just they booked themselves into a corner and i don't they put the worst possible option well they didn't they didn't book a whole lot for the show anyway there was only like four matches announced going into it and i think that a lot of people bought that ticket on the premise of this is going to be really cool seeing the fiend in the cell and I want that moment of the title change. It seems like a layup the way that they pushed him so hard. So I don't know. You know, you set they I feel like they set the expectations so high where it's like, how can this guy lose? It's a cell match, it's no DQ. It wouldn't make any sense for him to lose. And when the, and I get it, you know, there's a lot of educated wrestling personalities right now that are echoing those sentiments, but there's other wrestling personalities like, hey, here's logically why this makes sense and you shouldn't have enjoyed this because this is a story. I I get it. You can you can draw, put point A to point B here and draw the line. That doesn't make me emotionally invested, right? And I think that's where the the, the line got drawn with the fans here. Is emotionally, they were expecting one thing, but then they were told logically that they needed to accept something else. And and that's always a bit of a, a tough pill to swallow, I think, for the uh, also the it's a, it's base. not a good argument either, right? Don't tell me that I can't I can't be upset about this, especially as a wrestling critic and as we as we pundit over here on the podcast, because at the end of the day, art is to be criticized and is to be judged and talked about. And that's what makes art art. And if you're telling me I'm not allowed to do that, and, and we both have very expanded back, uh, wrestling knowledge backgrounds, Nick. And so I, I'm not bringing this like, oh, I watched wrestling for the first time Sunday night and I didn't like it, right? I'm basing this off of all of the, it's being informed by all of the previous wrestling I've watched for the last 25 years of my life. And so I have a right, and I think a lot of fans have the same right to, in this case to say, I didn't like this because it wasn't emotionally satisfying. It's no different than Game of Thrones. It's no different than whatever TV show or movie, right? We loved Avengers Endgame because it was emotionally satisfying. You can't tell me, well, the story made sense, so you have no input on that. That's not how this works, guys. So, yeah, again, WWE, I think they, they screwed up here. As you put it, they fumbled the ball at the one-yard line, and the opponents, AEW in this case, <laughs> ran it back for a touchdown. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, the Kabuki Warriors uh, on uh, – oh, wait, no, no, no. Oh, no, no, no. We'll, we'll go back up here in a second. There were some other title changes on this show. or uh, There was title changes on this show, I should say. There wasn't there in the cell. Uh, Charlotte won the WWE SmackDown Women's Championship. She beat Bayley. Um, Sasha lost to Becky in her cell match. Corey Graves on commentary, very tellingly, I thought, said a bad night for the boss and hug connection. Um, Wrestling Observer, they reported that Sasha Banks was injured in the cell. Her situation is kind of vague. They're, they're keeping it quiet. 
Um, but PW Insider reporting that word going around is that she suffered some kind of back injury during the cell match. Uh, we also saw the Kabuki Warriors. They defeated Bliss and Cross for the uh, women's tag team titles. And, of course, Roman and Daniel Bryan, they defeated Harper and Rowan and then hugged it out at the end there. So not a not a bad – I didn't think the show was bad. I thought it was a little expected um, up until the finish, which was all screwy and everybody hated. You know, I don't – mm, that was good. I mean, the, let's the, – there's a lot of good here. I don't – this is the unfortunate thing about an event like the way you ended that show Sunday night, which is the fans are all talking about what they didn't like. And I will tell you, Nick, that Sasha, Becky, Hell in a Cell match is an all-timer. Dude, that match was – it's one of the best Hell in a Cell matches we've had in years, I believe. One of the best women's matches we've had uh, this year, I think. And these two, they did innovative stuff inside the, the cell. There was a built-in backstory that made you care about what happened in this match. Um, it went back and forth. It was paced so well. And, and uh, again, we're talking about the bad stuff here. But I loved this um, this Becky Lynch Sasha Banks match. I think it was great. I think both women did fantastic. It was really good. So if you're yeah, very yeah. good, very good. Yeah, could have closed the show. Yeah, should have closed. Should the have show. if yeah. that was your direction. Yeah, put 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 Seth and Fiend in some non-cell match because then I don't think the expectation would have been there. You know, they're like, okay, this is going to end. It'll be a continuation, which I know isn't like as gripping, but you gripped him in and then you pissed him off. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, well, the, to offset this, on Monday Night Raw, the only note I have outside of the other things that we kind of trickled in was Raw, as you brought up earlier, Raw kicked off with the continuation of the Lashley-Lana-Rusev angle with Lashley taking Lana into her and Rusev's bed. That is how they... that If you tuned in to see The Fiend and the follow-up to him and, and, and Rollins and instead got this... Man, it was Monday Night Football night. I'm fascinated to see what the hour one to two and even three ratings are for Monday night. Because I thought it ended strong. But, boy, that opening note. Oof. That's not, I don't know. Well, I, they, I felt like the pay-per-view didn't even happen, which was the craziest thing to me. Bizarre. We're opening up with this storyline and don't even talk about that you just watched this other wrestling show uh, 24 hours ago. I'm <laughs> sitting there watching this with my girlfriend, casual wrestling fan, loves Lana and Rusev. And she's like, oh, I'm very uncomfortable right now. I don't like this. <laughs> Like you could, and I'm sure I'm not the only guy that was sitting there with their girlfriend. And they're like, "This is weird. What is this?" You know? I mean, I guess it's kind of attitude era e. But does that play the same anymore? I don't think it does. You know? No, it doesn't. And, and these storylines don't play as well because we're everybody like wrestling feels like it's a live event. And why would the logic here just doesn't make any sense? What happened to Lana's accent? Did did I miss something? Is that gone now? It's gone. No. It's, been, it's been gone for a little bit, but it's full on gone now. You know? Yeah. She's, she's not doing that. Yeah. It's just awkward. It's like, why is this happening again? Why they, is this happening? Us last week. <laughs> yeah, why? Why? Agreed. Mm. Um, well, the raw. I think the ratings will be worse for Raw this week than they were last week. I think you will see a drop off, and I'm going to predict you get around 2.4 million viewers. Okay. I see. This is the thing. So now that we've kind of gotten to the end of the road here. We've caught up. There's a couple other bits of news we're going to chat about here real quickly. Um, of note, first of all, the week before on Raw, the show did uh, 2.571, but the Observer reporting there was over a half million fans that tuned in, then tuned out for and then after the Nature Boy Hulk Hogan Miz TV segment. So obviously there's some interest, and in, that was a pretty hilarious bit, to be fair. Um, sure. But uh, but yeah, my prediction here, I think AEW uh, sees, uh, I think they see a bigger number this week because of everything that has happened here. I feel like they got a lot of free publicity. I think TNT yep. has done a great job 
pushing the success of that debut. I think that the WWE statement was, again, like another bit of PR for them. I think AEW goes up. I think SmackDown will be down a little bit. I think NXT, I mean, I mean, if there's more interest on Wednesday nights, I think NXT's got to go up too. I still think NXT and AEW will both go up tomorrow night. Yeah, especially because they're doing the replay like they did last week right after AEW airs live. So you can watch the replay at 10, much like they did with Nitro back in the day. So I would say, I think Raw is going to land somewhere around 2.35 um, million viewers. I think AEW gets up to, I mean, they were just advertised on Hell in a Cell by the audience, right? And to your point, promoted by WWE on Twitter. So I think they get up to about a 1.8 million viewers. Mm-hmm. I think SmackDown, 3. I want to say 3.2. Um, and I, I think NXT gets up, but I think it's just over uh, a million. Yeah, and Raw, man, like I, I don't, I don't, can't see more people tuning in for Raw next week after Raw this week, you know. And there's only SmackDown, I guess NXT to, to hype some stuff for Raw, but there was not a whole lot. Le- I mean, the the pull apart was cool if you're like into Tyson Fury, I guess. Um, but I don't know. And and also something that's something that struck me about Raw is it's so obvious now that SmackDown's like the classy show, right? Yeah. And Raw is now the show where they just play to a, a completely different denominator. And maybe it's because there's different people running the shows now. Maybe it's a conscious choice to maybe try to make these shows feel different. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Weird. I'm, I'm just saying if, if, if Ada, and I'm, I'm being optimistic, I'm being wildly optimistic with the 1.8 million viewers. I know that, right? But if, if, if they do at some point in the next few weeks crest up to a 1.8 and Raw continues to trend down into a 2.3, 2.4, they're within spitting distance. And if you're AEW, you've got to feel like, hey, listen, we, we've got them. I mean, they've already topped NXT. SmackDown's going to be a hard beast to chase down right now. But those numbers get close enough within half a million viewers. You're within spitting distance. Uh, so let's uh, uh, quick mail a quick bit of a miscellaneous bag here, I guess. The grab bag of, of last topics. And there's some big ones in here. We're just short on time. Uh, Tom Phillips has joined the NXT UK commentary team. So that's where Tom Phillips has landed post-SmackDown. It's good. Like I said, he's in retainer here. You, Phillips is great. He'll be great for that brand. That brand is now probably the most watched thing on the WWE Network. So good for him. Good, you know, maybe he'll be somewhere else down the road. Uh, at Fight Oracle reporting, CM Punk signing with Fox for the WWE Backstage Studio show on FS1 is reportedly, quote-unquote, a done deal. Punk has signed on to work as a commentator to the show. Any other... Uh, Winkley, I feel like that would be a top story. And here we are in the miscellaneous. CM Punk, I mean, I guess it's because we've talked a whole bunch about it. We've kind of been circling around it. Not horribly surprising. Of course, we don't have this confirmed yet. But th- this is a, this this could be very interesting here. I, I wonder how I wonder how Punk plays in this role, I, you know, and what it could lead to, I guess. Mm. It could lead to more, right? I mean, you more. Know, the door is open now. More. Uh, well, uh, Wrestling Observer reporting that Edge, who's going to be turning 46 at the end of the month, negotiated a significant new deal with WWE by playing them against AEW. A bravo. Uh, it was noted that there has been talk privately in WWE about Edge wrestling again. Uh, people in WWE creative are under the belief that Edge will not be cleared to wrestle again, but Fight Oracle, who just did the punk news, and it's not usually in my news feed here, so take it for what you will. But they're reporting that Edge has been cleared to return to in-ring competition for WWE, to which Edge, not directly, but he did tweet out, you know, kind of responding to the situation, said, no, I'm not, and no, I'm not. So what do you believe here, Michael? What do you think's going on? 
I fight Oracle is a weird source, so that tempers my expectation. Obviously, Edge was not going to just come out there and be like, you're right, I'm cleared, and I'm wrestling tomorrow. Good catch, guys. Um, it, it's weird. I, it's, it seemed like his injury was pretty definitive, so I'm going to say fight Oracle just got it wrong in this case. Yeah, well, who knows? It'd be great to see Edge out there, if, if so. Uh, well, the Observer also reporting that there's nothing to the rumors of Steve Austin wrestling at the Saudi Arabia show. Austin is not booked for the Saudi show. Meltzer noted that it is not expected. that's not expected to change. And, uh, you know, Steve has talked about recently how he thinks he could have one more match. So uh, not in Saudi. That's all the report says. WrestleMania, maybe. Mm -hmm. Who knows? Who knows? Punk's back. Austin's back. Oh, man. Yeah. I but, said this a few months ago, and you were like, up. yeah, it was never going to happen. Giddy up. You didn't sound like that. That's my voice no, for you. Oh, man. That's not going <laughs> to happen. No way. Well, here we are. Um, the Observer reporting Braun Strowman's new Four-year deal is believed to be for $1.2 million a year. Um, usually the topside downside, downside number for WWE is about a million, uh, but it was noted that uh, AJ Styles has recently signed uh, for significantly more than that because of AEW. <laughs> Can you imagine? Yeah, he'd be a big star there. Uh, there are other talents, apparently, according to the Observer, that have guarantees above the $1 million threshold, but they know how to negotiate, and they know that WWE knew they could go somewhere else. So a lot of people making a lot of money, including Braun Strowman. Great. Makes sense. It's a big deal for this dude, too. I mean, not a world champion, but obviously they think he's a draw from this big show perspective. So, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, The Rock, uh, two bits here real quick about The Rock. Uh, Randy Orton challenged him to a Mania match on Twitter. Rock responded, you know, shorted up here saying, no, I, uh, I've i taken enough abuse from you. I don't need this match. <laughs> uh, but The Rock. Good for Randy. Randy's <laughs> trying to get that. He's Look at him trying to get that payday at WrestleMania. Good for him. Swinging for the fences. Uh, the Rock seems to have squashed his beef with Vin Diesel as he wrote a nice Instagram post about him as well. I guess he sent him a, a text when he was getting married or something like that. So Vin Diesel and The Rock hugged it out. Good, good thing. Uh, and lastly, here, what about him and Tyrese though? That's the that's the real feud, right there. I guess. All right. Lastly, here, but uh, the the most unfortunate news of the past five days: uh, PWInsider.com reporting that Jeff Hardy was arrested last Thursday evening in Moore County, North Carolina, for a DWA or DWI. Um, Moore County police confirmed that Hardy was released from custody around 1130 Eastern uh, on Thursday night. Uh, they declined to give a re uh, additional details. Jeff's arrest comes after Hardy was arrested for public intoxication and impairment in Myrtle Beach back in mid-July. He's expected to appear in court on Thursday, November 7th for the DWI charges. He also had his license revoked for at least 30 days pending his hearing. Jeff is currently out of action for WWE recovering from knee surgery that he underwent in May. He was supposed to be out for six to nine months. His brother, Matt Hardy, has tweeted, since so many have asked about my brother, I love my brother, I want him to be happy and healthy. I've expressed to that to him as much as I can. Jeff has to make his decisions about his life. I have to focus on my two boys and soon-to-arrive son. I can only control my actions. To which WWE has also released the following statement, Jeff Hardy is responsible for his own personal actions. Very unfortunate here. I mean, it's it's a story that's gone on far too long here. Um, I would hope that Jeff can get right here. A lot very very talented goes without saying, but um, you know he's putting people's lives in danger doing this stuff. You know, you're taking a gun and shooting it drunkenly when you get behind a, the wheel of a car drunk. So I, uh, you know, I, I don't I, I don't know what the right thing to do here is, but I can't see that. I, you know, they've made light about it in his last feud with Samoa Joe. Remember that? Right after he got yeah. like, remember, this has got to stop being a joke and a story. Like, it's got to be taken seriously. I don't know if it's the family, the company, who, but, you know, this has got to end, right? That's about all I can say, I guess. 
Uh, yeah, yeah, and it's it's unfortunate. You know, a couple of things here. Again, something illegal does not excuse the behavior. Um, Matt Morgan Pope pointed this out on Friday night, which is uh, Jeff's a creative spirit. He's been kind of idle for a while with his injury, and you know, as they say in the Bible Belt, idols idle hands are the devil's playground. So. Uh, I just hope for Jeff's sake, right, this is bad news. He's an addict. He's been struggling with this for years. And, and addicts struggle. They get better sometimes and they get worse sometimes. And the the rehab process always looks a lot nastier from the outside than if you are that person. So um, I just I hope and pray that he can get some support, get the help he needs, and kind of continue to, to fight his demons the right way to come out of this uh, a better, better human being and a better citizen. My guest at this time is a WWE and NWA Hall of Famer. He's also a former WWE Intercontinental Champion, two-time recipient of the Wrestling Observer's Match of the Year, and he's going to be appearing at the Hamilton Comic-Con on October 19th and 20th. It is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Ricky, thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. Well, Nick, thanks for having me. How's it How's it going in the Windy City? <laughs> it's pretty good, man. Chicago, I don't know. It feels like Chicago is like the center of the pro wrestling universe at the moment. Yeah, you know, with... Um... With the other company doing well there, correct? Yeah, other company. Impact's coming here. MLW's coming here. WWE is doing Survivor Series this year in Chicago as well. So we'll have like four or five big events just in October and November alone this year. Well, you know, in 89, Chicago was one of my favorite towns. Okay. Uh, That's when I uh, wrestled Ric Flair for the NWA Championship and had my victory there in Chicago. Sure. Was that at the UIC Pavilion or where was that? Uh, I know I'm testing your brain right now. I apologize, but no, mm, I, I know a little bit about your history here in Chacago. I think 30 years ago, right? Yeah. Let me think. <laughs> I, I'm going to, I'm going to say my gut, my gut is telling me at the pavilion. I think it is. I think it was the pavilion. Cause I know you had a lot of classics yeah. there. You know, that's really cool to hear that you remember Chicago so fondly, you know? Yeah. 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 It was, uh, it was always good to me. Well, great. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about Canada here. You know, you're heading up to Hamilton Comic Con. What what can fans expect from your upcoming appearance here at Hamilton Comic Con? Well, let, let me let me say this: I've wrestled in Hamilton as well as in uh, Toronto. The fans are always received me well there, and um, I don't know how many of the Canadian fans know this, but when um, coming into that area, Toronto and Hamilton um, has always been one of my favorite favorite areas to come in now you know a lot of the guys you know they didn't uh yeah it wasn't one of their favorites because as as always you got to go through customs and they're checking this and checking that and all yeah. that but you know besides besides doing that uh i love coming into uh, that area to wrestle because the fans always re- they were off the hook for me so you know and, and as, as you know in our business being in the entertainment business and our goal is to get the fans roaring and, and, and up off the seats, and and, uh, and they were always there for me. Yeah. It didn't matter who I had in the ring. It could have been Savage or Flair or, God, I'm going to go back to the early 80s when Jay Youngblood and myself were there, and we wrestled against Sergeant Slaughter and his partner, uh, Don Canoodle. Damn. And, um, you know, the Briscoe brothers, when we wrestled against them, the fans were always, always there. So it's it's always been one of my favorite venues, too to uh, perform in front of. And so in saying that and coming to the Hamilton Comic Con, when I do these appearances, and I, I probably end up doing hmm, 
somewhere between 30 and 36 a year. It's like three weekends a month for me. Oh, okay. Um, I, I enjoy the heck out of it. Um, unlike just being in the ring and wrestling and then, you know, trying to entertain your fans. And, uh, but this, this, we get to, you know, I get to speak with them. I get to shake hands with them. I get to have eye contact with them. You know, we take a picture together. We sign out. I, I sign up eight by 10 for them. So it's a little bit more, um, personal, a little bit more one-on-one. Um, I look at it as, uh, as a way of giving back to the fans and saying, thank you for all your years of support. You know, Absolutely. you know, you bought a ticket, you watched me perform and, and, uh, and, and, um, now we can be a little bit up close and personal and, um, and, um, and, it, and to me, it's, it's almost like a way of giving back. So, yeah. And, and I'll, I'll enjoy the heck out of it. I, some guys may look at it as work. Um, and I'm talking about, it could be anybody from, NBA, NFL, movie stars, TV hosts, whatever. Yeah. But for me, it's uh, it's always been enjoyable. I mean, it is a form of work. You know, don't get me wrong, but uh, I, I enjoy the heck out of it. Fans come up and tell me stories and tell me stuff about, God, do you remember that far back? And then, then I got eight and 10-year-old kids that'll come up and tell me about the match that I had with Savage at WrestleMania 3. Yeah. You know, yeah, it, you know, it was... 30 years before they were even born and <laughs> but you know with with the magic of 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 the internet uh their dad tells them hey why don't you watch a little bit of what i used to watch and and their their eight-year-old son will sit down and watch my matches and then come and get an autograph and tell me all about it and and it just as amazes me that um, you know we're passing it on from generation to generation but then again the wonderment of what what we have and have an access to today that even the even the young kids know who I am. Yeah, well, and you've had such great feuds and matches, you know, with Flair, uh, Jericho, but you know that WrestleMania three match. You know, I think when a lot of fans think of you, that that one always kind of seems to pop to pop to their mind. Why do you think it is that match with Randy that's resonated so hard across generations with fans? Oh God, I mean, you know, on what thirty two, thirty three years ago. Um, everywhere I go, the fans, uh, that, that match two to one is talked about the most to me. Yeah. Uh, the match that I had with Ric Flair, of course, but why, um, you know, uh, we didn't know it at the time, but, um, we, we, we wanted to come across as the fans that we wanted to make it a championship match. And I'll give credit where credit's due because there are two biggest icons in the business, Andre the Giant and, and Hulk Hogan, were they were headlining uh, WrestleMania three. Yeah. And and we were we were the match right before them. Yeah. And uh, obviously obviously they had the world championship up for grabs, and we wanted to make ours a, a championship match. And um, so we, as in laying that thing out, um, we sort of changed the blueprint. Not knowing back then now, I keep saying that. We didn't know we were going to change things. But uh, to make it a championship match, it was about him trying to hold on to it and me trying to beat him for it. And we ended up with all these false finishes, like, you know, like 20 false finishes in a match that went less than 17 minutes. Yeah. And, and um, you know, customarily back then, it was an average of about seven or eight false finishes in the course of a match, right? Okay. You know, but... You know, we had almost, I think it was either 19 or 20 false finishes. And then, then, 
the the twenty first one was was the one two three. So right. we took a fans on a wild ride because with all the ups and downs, and he was covering me and trying to beat me and back and forth and throughout that whole match and and at least that's what the guys moving forward, you know, tell me today. He says, Ricky, that match, you know, uh, I sort of. Uh, it changed everything about how to structure things. And you guys really, you know, we went nonstop for that length of time and God, we were, we were going hard. Yeah. Well, do you, and, feel, uh, do you guys, you know what, you know, one of the things, that, you know, one of the things I do wish Nick is that, you know, I think, I think Macho passed away about mm, maybe seven years ago, maybe eight, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. And uh, God, I just wish that he would be with me sitting at my side when we're doing these appearances and we both could, uh, you know, be together and reminisce and, and, and just be in wonderment of how the fans you know, 30 years later, remember us, yeah. you know, he just, he just went too way too soon, yeah. you know, yeah. way too soon. Yeah. What was it like working with Randy? He's, he's, you know, I always heard he was a very colorful character to say the least. And he was, you know, camera was on. He was very colorful. You know, the and the tone of the voice and all that made him different. But uh, when it come to putting a match together, man, he was uh, he was he was a stickler. You know, dot your I's, cross your T's, make sure everything means something. Make sure every move, you know, a half a turn this way will make it. You know, make the opening much better. You know, he was just a to z and 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 back down again um he he was a he was a perfectionist uh, and more so than any guy i ever worked with and you know and i had a lot of top names that i was in the business work with you know all the all the top heels you know from jake roberts and rick flares and you know um ravishing rick rude but randy savage was he covered every base every move every step of the match. And, um, I know, I know with some guys that they said, yeah, he was, he was so, uh, might've been a little bit uh, hard to work with because he was such a stickler on that. But I'll tell you this with me, if I made a suggestion, he was wide open for it. He was, and there were things in that match that I made several suggestions on the flow and the, the direction that, uh, he didn't hesitate and said, you know, you know, you know, dragon, that's better. That's better than my idea. Let's do that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, wow. But he, he was, uh, and, and, and made me a better worker, you know, and made me, it, it opened my eyes up to little, little things in a match that you just take for granted that you think that, you know, the fans are going to get, or, you know, or, you wouldn't even think about it, but it, it opened my eyes moving forward for me on on structuring things for my matches as as years went on. Yeah. Do you feel like you and Randy were like well ahead of the curve? Because you know, you talk about all these fall finishes. I think about, you know, tag teams of today, other wrestlers today, where that's that's commonplace. The matches move so much faster these these days, I feel like, than they did in the, the late eighties, early nineties. You know, honestly, Nick, like I said, when we're putting this thing together, we didn't know if we were going to be way ahead of the curve. We just wanted to make it a championship match. Yeah. And a championship a championship match to us was all about, I'm going to try and beat you for the championship. And, and Randy, uh, your deal is, is that you're trying to hold on to it. Yeah. And we just kept coming up with these false finish after false finish after false finish. And and that it just, it just turned the tide on, on everything else. 
Yeah. Well, one last question on that, and we'll move on to some other stuff here. But how did Andre and Hulk feel about that match? Were they appreciative of it, or did they were they like, "Whoa, you guys going out there trying to steal the show right before our main event"? No, I mean, uh, I approach Andre. Um, you know, I'm not. I, I don't know how far ahead. I, I'm thinking uh, maybe a month. And just out of respect, because I know Andre, you know, they're, you know, those guys are headlining, headlining WrestleMania three. And it just, I said, are you guys doing anything special? So, you know, I'll know to stay away from it. Yeah. So it's not, you know, I don't want to be stepping on your, on your stuff, you know, um, he was very cordial. Uh, Andre and I, over the years got along very well. Uh, we were tag team partners on a couple occasions and, um, but he just, he goes, he goes, no boss. Uh, you know, at that at that time in his career, he was he was he was hurting. You know, his back, um, his hips and knees. You know, carrying you know five hundred plus pounds all those years. That uh, he was going to have a, what he told me like a very laid back type of match. You know, just doing the bear hug with him and Hogan, and so he he left the, he left the door open for me and Randy. So that's that's why we we did what we did. That's awesome. Well, let's get back to some of the people you'll be sharing space with here at the Hamilton Comic Con. You know, you talk about top heels of your of your era. Uh, Ted DiBiase is going to be in the house at the Hamilton oh, Comic Con. Yeah. Uh, talk to me. What are your memories of Ted? Were you ever jealous that he got this sweet gig where he got to ride around in fancy cars and wear the clothes and things like that? Yeah, you know that's the character. You know that if you know if you if you do it, you know people see it maybe on TV, but. You know how much do they see you when you're out of the ring? Yeah, and uh, he, uh, everybody, especially when, when you know, in the mid '80s, when WrestleMania one, two, in the in the business just took a big curveball change, and everybody was living their character because now, you know, you, you're you're starting to get noticed every every inch of the country, and then it then it went on to every everything around the world. So, um, and no, but uh, DiBiase off camera is a great guy. Great, great guy. You yeah. know, um, wasn't stuck up or anything like that or let, let the stardom, you know, blow your head up and no, but he, he's very down to earth, uh, to me. And, and even to this day, when we see each other on appearances, uh, he's a very cordial and very great guy. You know, we, we only had a few matches with each other Yeah, and we always asked we always ask each other, well, why didn't we just didn't hook up and do a, a full blown program? Yeah. You know, it, it would have been, yeah. you know, I would have loved to, uh, to work with, with Ted. Uh, and the few matches that we had, they were great. You know, we, uh, but then again, we always ask the question, why couldn't we carry it, you know, a step farther and, and work a two or three month program. Yeah. Yeah, well, somebody else you worked a little bit with uh, was Mick Foley. I think you guys actually brought it back, your feud in ROH, I believe, for a little while there. Um, yeah. Yeah. What do you, th- what do you Bring think? Bring on. Stuff. What, do you, uh, what do you think of Mick and his hardcore style? You know, you're really like the opposite side of the spectrum yeah. from Mick, you know? Well, you know, you need to have everything um, in our business. Uh, all the different styles, of course. Um, you know, but Foley, yeah, he found his, but you know, how hard, you know, what he did uh, every night and year after year really was hard on him physically. Yeah. Um, you know, um, 
I, I I'm glad I didn't have to go that down that path and choose that and choose that way. But uh, that's what he did. It made him different. Made him a star. Sure. You know, made him a main event guy. Made him a world champion. So. It's true. It's true. Yeah. What yeah. You know, What was what was like the craziest thing you were ever asked to do in a wrestling match, or maybe something you turned down? Oh wow. I remember when we were having cage matches, and I think Superfly Snooker was the first to do this. And that was, you know, both of us are doing dives off the top rope, you know, from the top rope into the ring, from the top rope onto the floor. But then uh, Madison Square Garden, he did off the top of the cage onto uh, Don Morocco. Yeah. And, you know, that's another, you know, another four, four feet up, you know, above the cage, above the turnbuckle. And um, I remember that. I, and then, you know, and, and, and Jimmy and I, we, we were like pioneering a lot of stuff that we did from jumping off the top rope. And of course, these guys nowadays, you know, they've taken it to different levels. But uh, I remember the first time that uh, I, I climbed the cage and did, you know, it was almost like a challenge from Snook. Snook, you know, and I said, well, you know, I just couldn't not believe. I said, this is crazy. This is absolutely crazy yeah but went ahead and did it i only did it a couple of times um scared me half to death uh, on those times that i did it i'll tell you that right now it was crazy so um didn't really turn down anything i think anything that was approached to me by promotions uh, uh, was always a logical made sense um, I think they knew me as a, as who I was and the kind of character I was. And, you know, they didn't ask me to do anything, you know, as a, you know, have Bob wire wrapped around the ring and set it on fire. You know, that, uh, you know <laughs> that's, that's not Ricky steamboat, you know, uh, you so, did spitfire, uh, you know, so I don't know. I could see something, yeah, you know, yeah. well, you know, that was, that was, uh, that was Vince wanting to repackage me. Yeah. And uh, coming up with the dragon's outfit, the wings and the headband and all that. And, um, you know, I think it, the business, uh, the company was taking a different, different turn on um, really specializing in who you are and trying to make a character uh, different from the guy that you were in the ring with. So it was a question that said, Hey, Ricky, do you ever think you could learn to blow some fire? And and I I took a moment and I, and I said, you know, this, this dragon's outfit and blowing fire. Yeah. I thought at the time I thought, God, that'll be just so cool. I really, I really did. I mean, it's iconic, man. A lot of people, when they think of you, they think you holding that Komodo dragon and blowing fire, you know? Yeah, that was, you know, but after doing it every night and, and, not seeing the, uh, I guess the, the effects of it down the road, but it, 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 it got to be, you know, cause I use kerosene in my mouth. Oh my God. And, um, yeah, a lot of guys may use 151 proof, you know, alcohol or whatever, but or white lightning or something. But now the, the guy that taught me, uh, Brian LaPalm and the company flew me down to Florida to this guy in the circus. He said he uses kerosene, and he said the reason why is it's a dirty fuel, but it really shows up well on TV because of the colors, the blues, the reds, the orange, you know, 
lot of the guys that do the fire, you know, with with grain alcohol or something, it's more like a white flame, sure. you know. But for television, you, you know, so I just I use kerosene, but you know, doing it every night after night after night, you get that kerosene residue in, inside your mouth. It, you know, you're burping up the smell of kerosene. You're farting the the smell of kerosene. You know. <laughs> Don't light a don't don't light a match behind Ricky Steamboat. I guess is a nice way to oh, say no. that. Yeah, I know. Back in the day, when you're when you're young and you're, you're lighting farts, but you know, with me, I I'm, I'll be like the dragon blowing a flame out about three feet. <laughs> of all of all the things I could have expected to come out of this interview with you today, Ricky, was that comment right there. That's, <laughs> hilarious um yeah yeah we get a little, little pg-ish right <laughs> uh all right i i i know i'm a tight on time here but ricky i'd be remiss if i didn't ask you you know this is such a crazy historical time for pro wrestling right now you know what do you make of a yeah. aew coming into the room here in the in the back and forth with wwe and nxt you know competition has always been good right that's my opinion and that's why there was back in the day there were there were territories and um, other promoters and um, it always would make one promotion step up if he heard that this other promotion was doing gangbusters business right I mean right. So, so bottom line I think overall um, for for the wrestling business it's going to be good um, sometimes you get relaxed. And, um, you know, you just maybe just sit on cruise control, Sure. but, uh, I think it's going to be good for the, for the wrestling business. And I also think it's going to be good for, um, the wrestlers, you know, you could, uh, have a good run for several years with one company and then maybe be able to extend it, um, with another, Right. you know, right. It's so, yeah, I think overall for everyone promotion involved and um especially for the guys that you know you could work for one for eight nine years you know i was i was in the business for almost 20 years and look and look at flair he was he was probably approaching 35 or 40 right and then but but today you know if a guy has about a good eight nine ten year run he's considered he was either that damn good or or lucky but uh now, if if you could branch off and do it, do it somewhere else, and and um, and if you're physically able, it's it just speaks volumes for 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 the uh, for the guy. Yeah, you know, and, and somebody who comes to mind when you say that, you know, of course, I'll flash back real quickly to 2009. I believe it was at Chris Jericho's request you came back and worked with him, and yeah. you were. I remember that feud vividly, Ricky. I thought you just blew people. You blew me away with the way you, you carry yeah. yourself during that with Jericho, what was it like working with him? I mean, it, does it surprise you to see him being the one, you know, doing what he's doing with AEW right now, I guess. Yeah. Um, he really took care of me. I was 50, you know, I'm 66. I was like 10 years ago. So I was 56. I was still pretty active in the ring because I was working at the, um, the training grounds. Right. And, uh, I was one of the few instructors that actually would get in the ring with the, the young hopefuls and go 20 minutes. So I was, I was very hands-on. Um, 
instead of coaching from the sidelines, you know, I'd, I'd get in the ring and say, come on, uh, hook up and just listen to me. Sure. So um, I was very hands-on in that type of training and I could be talking to the guy in his ear and, you know, start to get up and no, 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 you're getting up too fast. You know, you got to show me that you're hurt, you know? So um, Vince knew that, that that was my style of training when I was, I was training the guys, you know, uh, worked with, Roman Reigns down there and Seth Rollins and Bray Wyatt, you know, and those guys have come along and are doing very well now. Um, but, uh, yeah, when, when Jericho, uh, I think he went to Vince and said, look, I'd, li- I'd like to try something with Ricky. And then they came to me and I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm, it isn't like I haven't been in the ring for 20 years. I'm, I still get in the ring every day. And, but, um, he really was, I could see it in his demeanor and his look on his face about making sure that um, I wasn't going to be out there to embarrass myself and have the fans walking away at the end of the night, you know, well, the dragon should have stayed retired. You know, he was, he was very conscious about making sure that uh, I would have a good showing and, uh, you know, believe this or not, Nick, that match at WrestleMania, and then three weeks later, we had a singles match at Backlash. I remember. That carried forward. Yeah. That carried forward. Uh, the company went overseas uh, on a tour, and I worked with Jericho every night on the overseas tour. And then we came back to the States, and we toured the Carolinas, and we worked every single night together. So that that first match at WrestleMania, when it was me and Piper and Snooker, God bless him, uh, you know, against Chris, and then three weeks later we did a one-on-one. Just because of that one match, for me, it ended up having like about, oh, I don't know, 15, 15 or maybe more matches, single matches with, with Jericho. Man. You know, the, you know, I became like part of the roster again. <laughs> That's so cool, man. I bet that was, that was awesome. I'd love to go. I know WWE tapes everything. I'd love to see, you know, all of those matches, I guess. Yeah. Like, where's my anthology is, is what I'm wondering. Um, Ricky, it's been a delight. I absolutely enjoyed, uh, love talking to you today. Um, again, uh, Ricky's going to be at the Hamilton Comic-Con October 19th and 20th. Uh, Ricky, is there anything you want to plug, promote, put over here before we wrap up the interview today? I just, uh, I just want the fans to know that I really enjoy doing this and, and for them to come out and, um, uh, I'll, I'll spend as much time as I can. I, I, I know the promotion there, you know, likes to keep the, the line moving, you know, somewhat, but, uh, I will tell them up front that, uh, I will spend a few, uh, a, uh, a minute or so with each person. And if you got a question about something and you want me to ask, you know, you want to ask me and I'll answer it the best I can, you know, we may have to go back and dig up some stuff 30 years ago, but I'll try my best. <laughs> Thank you, Michael, for joining me on the odyssey that was the past five days in pro wrestling news. And thank you to Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. What an awesome conversation to help start this week on top of the punditry we just gave you here. Uh, we'll, I'll be back tomorrow with Justin Labar uh, talking the news on the show. I will also be featuring interviews. Uh, well, one, both, I guess I did both these interviews. One was uh, the interview I did with ODB. We're talking about her meet and greet truck just caught in flames. 
um, what's going on with her, her food truck business and what's going on with her pro wrestling future. She was in AEW recently. So you're going to get that tomorrow. Uh, and you're also going to get to hear the interview I did over a month ago. You were working the camera for this. It's my Michael Weber interview where I talked to him about fights, yeah. play, fights place in the whole spectrum of pro wrestling right now. I've just been waiting for the right time to drop it. And this now it's finally here. So there it is. Very that's, open. that's a that's a cool interview, guys. You should check it out. It's um interesting from a business. If you're into the business side of things, super interesting. Yeah. So ODB Michael Weber Fight TV. Oh, I got his title wrong. Remember, I had to start over. What is he? He's not the. He's not the. Remember, he, we like had to refresh because he had to leave the room and come back. And he's like, by the way, I, I think I called him the fight president. I think he's the CFO. I think if I got CFO, it right. yeah, yeah. I got botching it again here. Sorry, Mike. Amateur. Sorry. Amateur that. hour. Oh my god. We have a great relationship with him. They send me promo codes every week, and we we. By the way, our good, our great social media manager Joshua Gagnon, he does the promo code contest there, and literally every week, if you follow us on Twitter, you can win promo codes to watch top wrestling shows on Fight for free, and give the show, give the product a sample. A lot of GCW stuff, ROH stuff, New Japan stuff. It's great. It's good. Josh is good people too. Josh is great. All right. If you like, speaking of social media, guess what? Josh does it most of the time, but I'm running social media for SmackDown this week and most weeks moving forward, it seems like. So um, follow Wrestling Inc. on Twitter. Um, and also stick around because I'll be joining the crew for the postgame show for the foreseeable future as well. Um, at, right after SmackDown Friday nights. And you can follow me on Twitter for my general life musings. I am at The Real Wiseman. Oh, my God. If you like the show, you like our reviews, go over to the Wrestling Inc. You, or Wrestling Inc. iTunes channel. Give us a nice subscription. Give us a five-star rating, comment. All that stuff is always appreciated. I'm at Wink Rebel over on Twitter. Thanks again for tuning in. And remember, if you winked, you didn't miss it.